I'm imagining you as like a like tent revival preacher. You're like, and when you get to the gates of hell, the devil will take you to look at his turtle. Hello, dear listeners. Today I am talking with Satan Marshall, I mean Sarah Marshall, of the podcast You're Wrong About. And as a follow-up to our series on Chick Tracts, we are covering one more of Jack Chick's experts, a man whose story mirrors several of the major satanic panic exposés of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. Some of these books were by people who claimed that they had experienced extreme ritual abuses by satanic cults in childhood, including paranormal occurrences, the memories buried and rediscovered in adulthood using recovered memory therapy, oftentimes employed by dubious Christian and Catholic psychologists, as was the case in Michelle Remembers by by Michelle Smith and Dr. Lawrence Pazder. Other memoirs were written by those who had participated in said satanic cults, like that of Mike Warnke's The Satan Seller, stories told by former witches and druids and Satanists who admit to their shockingly twisted pasts and tell of their heroic conversions to Christianity. In part two of our series on Chick Tracts, we covered three of Christian comic artist Jack Chick's expert informants who provided him with their testimony of righteous demon battles and Illuminati manipulation in thoroughly debunked occult stories so sensational that it's hard to believe that anyone could have bought them as truth. But in many cases, these were not fringe stories. Mainstream talk shows like Oprah and Geraldo presented these authors' alleged life stories as absolute fact, popularizing the idea that thousands of secret satanic cults were living in our midst, committing unthinkable atrocities completely under the radar of law enforcement. Over the next two episodes, we will cover one such book put out by Chick Publications in the early 1990s and talk about how it represents the satanic panic memoir movement as a whole. And I will tell Sarah the story of Jack Chick's occult expert and his journey through every secret society ever, culminating in a ceremony that turned him into a real-life vampire. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and this is American Hysteria. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Thank you for <sighs> being here. I don't know why I'm talking like a robot. <laughs> we can just do this. Hello, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Yeah, it's so good to be back here. This is my favorite place to be. Oh, that's great. You're our favorite person to have around, especially when we are talking about satanic memoirs, uh, which I think would be a expertise of yours, maybe the first expertise in your list. Yeah, it certainly should be based on the amount of hours I put into it. And nobody asked me to either is the thing. I know. And that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And I think that this is this is like our, our shared love. Well, one of them. Well, and I mean, we tell this story every time we ever talk on a show together, but that is our first meeting mm -hmm. place. And we were introduced and found that we both had read Michelle Remembers and had probably never really met another person that had read Michelle Remembers. So I think it might be the fastest any conversation has like oriented to Michelle Remembers unless, you know, the two people met at a Michelle Remembers conference back in the early 80s like they seem to have had. <laughs> a Christian psychologist convention, maybe? Yeah, yes. We're the, <laughs> the two Christian psychologists who brought up Michelle Remembers the fastest in the first conversation. Like there's a buzzer that you can hit mm -hmm. to win the game. Um, so... Yeah, basically, what I want to talk to you about today, we're going to see what happens. I know you haven't slept. I've had a weird fucking day. So 
I think it's perfect, though, for the subject matter, which is one big mindfuck. And uh, I think I want to start with this story, actually. I'm going to tell you about one of Jack Chick's experts that we did not talk about in our series uh, Mm. in our part two episode where we covered uh, those who kind of gave Jack Chick his information that would lead him to create all of his comic work. Um, And a lot of those people brought him, well, I should say all of those people brought him information information on the occult and uh none were quite so sensational as a man named bill schnoblin no picture him for me (laughs) bill schnoblin i mean look this is a man about like assuming that a person is like their name which i think is true (laughs) this is a man about whom people are saying oh man bill's luck is getting worse and worse it's Schnobelin. You know, he's he's living in his car after his wife kicked him out. His glove compartment is full of unpaid speeding tickets. He's drinking mouthwash just to feel a buzz. That's Bill Schnobelin. He's he's got a, a tie that pulls right off, like the judge in Drop Day Gorgeous. <laughs> he's a man that orders a glass of milk at a restaurant. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which like I love milk, you know, I do. And Even I have never ordered, I am not that much of a milk queen. That's another level. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's something you do in the privacy of your own home, I think. Once you bring it out in public, I think things are going kind of rough in the old life. This is why we drink coffee, just as an excuse to find a way to drink dairy in front of each other. That's the only reason. Can't think of any other. Yeah, just soak it in dairy. <laughs> so Bill Schnobelin, he's got a big white bushy beard. He looks like uh Santa Claus. He has a pleasant demeanor like so many of these people. You know, you mm-hmm. you listen to him. I watched too many hours of an interview with him where he kind of tells the whole story of the book that I read, which is called Lucifer Dethroned, mm. uh, which is a great title. Sounds like a sex position. Well, there is sex in, in this book. Mm. That's that's for sure. As there always is, because these books are so perverted most right. of the time. Right. So Bill is one of Jack's experts who brought like a lot of spice. And some have said that he was kind of the most used person as like an informant to Jack. I mean, here, I'm going to give you a list of all of the different things that he claimed to be over, you know, like less than a 10 year period. Mm -hmm. So he was a Wiccan, a high Druic priest, an Ordo Templi Orientis initiant of the second degree, Mm. a channeler, a Satanist, a member of the Illuminati, a Mormon, a Catholic priest, a 90th degree Freemason, a Knight Templar, a Gnostic bishop, a spiritualist priest, and most importantly, a vampire. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Well, the nice thing is that, you know, it seems like he would have had to change his religion and ascend through a very stringent religious order every six months or so, but he could have been a vampire the whole time. So that's nice. It's kind of more realistic. It is. And, you know, I don't think, (laughs) I don't think that there has been a vampire in any of the, you know, true story satanic memoirs. Can you think of any from your research? I can't think of a single vampire, which is, you know, and really when you think about it, they're alleging the most over-the-top supernatural stuff like why not throw in vampires honestly why not and you know i mean it's it's like vampire is like an eternally hot concept right like it's always coming back there's always uh some hot vampire property in the zeitgeist so it's also a good way i think to get eyes on your material yeah and i mean like there's so many reasons for vampires to be big and of course they're very sexy But also I feel like, you know, Dracula is like our first kind of first real vampire. And he occurs sort of during modernity and in a story about London as a major international city and a modern city. And I feel like, you know, for as long as there's capitalism, there will definitely be vampires that we love and relate to. 
Do you think that there is some sort of metaphorical element to that sort of marriage? I feel like there is in a way I can't fully explain where it's like, like vampires as kind of a general concept, like it feels like they're a metaphor for capital because like in sort of the Dracula style, they're like these old landed aristocrats who must consume young women in order to like keep chugging along and who have sex by killing, which is very marriage culture of them. Very. And then also, I don't know, it's like vampires are like, I don't know, you can use them both to show the problem and to show a way out of the problem because they're free thinkers. And, you know, depending on which vampire rules you follow, like you could just be like the coolest person ever. Do do you feel like it kind of goes that way? Vampires in fiction, they're either like pretty evil or like, pretty cool or both yeah yeah well that too like bill paxton and near dark yeah or like i mean yeah they kind of run the gamut and i was a buffy person did you watch buffy growing up not growing up but in grad school okay i feel like that's an interesting thing because the vampires are almost more like zombies in that where they don't have a ton of uh background or character unless you've got you get to really know them like yeah spike or angel and he kind of gets got to nip him in the bud, right? It feels like Buffy just goes to the cemetery every night because she's like, yawn, got to stake all these people who just got buried. Yeah, exactly. It's easy. It's a, it's like a factory line <laughs> of stabbing. <laughs> so I think, you know, vampires also relate to capitalism because they make a lot of money. And I think that this memoir aimed to you know, capitalize on some of that hot satanic panic money because Mm -hmm. it did come out in the 80s. So it came out a full decade later than The Satan Seller and definitely a few years later than Michelle Remembers. So this is squarely in the satanic panic as it has been brought on by other memoirs that came before. Um, Mm -hmm. All the memoirs that came before. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm just going to read you the opening like two pages Mm -hmm. of this because I really think it's worth getting the vibe and entering Bill's world. I'm excited. The nice thing about this book, I like the writing. I think it's fun and I think he could have really done some great stuff. Um, All right, here we go. Chapter one. You have no idea what it is like to awaken to the need for the taste of blood in your mouth. Mm. You cannot imagine what it's like to drive through the moist and midnight streets of a city praying that you would find a lone woman upon whom you might feed, and yet another part of you praying that you would not find such a woman for fear of what you might really do. Why do you got to feed on a woman, Bill? (laughs) Yeah, why? (laughs) Doesn't have to be a woman, Bill. Women are just yummier. Yeah, I mean, that's what these men sure say. A baby, even better. (laughs) I know. Yeah. But yes, that's what they say. That's what they say. So, okay. That is probably a dismaying or even offensive statement for most. Be patient with me as I take you into a world where few have ever trod. Mm. It helps to understand where I came from in order to appreciate what Satan can do to people and, more importantly, what Jesus Christ can do for people. Mm. So here we go. This is a, a description of Bill... A day in the life, let's say. I would awaken from sleep, craving the taste of blood, just as the cigarette addict arises, fumbling for the pack of smokes beside his bed. My awakening was different from most in that I awoke in the late afternoon. I had arranged to work graveyard shift jobs, first as a night watchman and later as a driver for the morning edition of a newspaper. Normally, I would awaken in a small, closet-like bedroom, heavily shrouded in purple velvet draperies to keep out every trace of sunlight. I slept on the floor, surrounded by satanic paintings on the free walls and ceiling, which were designed to be doorways into alternate dimensions of reality, other universes. 
During certain seasons of the year, when I would have a particularly difficult time, I would sleep in a specially constructed coffin, fashioned according to precise occult specifications, and covered on the floor with blessed earth from the consecrated Catholic cemetery brought from my own hometown. More of this holy earth was under my mattress. I needed blood. (laughs) (laughs) There's an exclamation mark. While other sinful men craved women's bodies, which is like, so do you, I was only interested in their necks or femoral arteries, part of the female body. My life was lived in near darkness, and I worshipped beings I called the great old ones. Lucifer was but one of them, though an important one. I believed that these old ones were gradually turning me into an immortal being who would live forever. My heroes were men like Nero, Hitler, and Dracula, and I believed (laughs) that I had daily contact with such men through channeling of spirits. Poor Dracula, he's fictional and he has to be in a sentence with Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) They guided me, unholy spirits serving an unholy lord, and I followed them with a desperate and somber joy. How could any human being come to such a place? How could a person become so depraved and evil that they needed to live on human blood? The answer to that question lies in this book, in the true story of a person caught in a trajectory of evil from which there is no escape except through Jesus. No. Right? More after this. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat, gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com And now, back to the show. Yeah, I see what you mean. I feel like every other satanic panic memoir I've read is written by someone who, like, they don't really like writing. Like, they'll do it. They don't (laughs) like it. Yeah, it feels like it it flows. It's, you know, I'm going to read a couple more sections for you later, you know, that I think are just, like, pretty decent writing. And that's, uh, you know, that's something that we talked about in our Jack Chick series is when we looked at all of his comics, I just kept thinking, like, man, what a bummer. This guy could have been such a great 
like horror director. Mm-hmm. If the situation had been different and he had never had his conversion moment, we could have had another Wes Craven. But instead, we had a horrible bigoted man (laughs) it's it's a real shame so what do you think tell me what you think about that passage so far and and bill Hmm. bill schnoblin gosh i mean this is making me think first of something i often think about with this is that when men kind of especially christian men talk about the sort of occult path they're often really talking about their own repressed desires and it's like all right Calm down. You can look at some pornography. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, That that's Bill, I think. So he goes through his entire story like any other memoir, and it's very, more than any other satanic memoir I've ever come across, it's full of, like, very boring and very specific details about every different kind of occult group. Well, that's nice. <laughs> it is. I, I I learned a lot. I skipped a lot, which kind of made it reading it easier because I just wanted the meat of the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't want I didn't want to learn about, you know, the Freemason ritual. Mm-hmm. But man, the Freemasons appear in everything I ever read about Satanism. Hmm. And I just don't know how those poor old men got so involved in this story. Can you t- like who are the Freemasons cuz I feel like they are even aside from satanists they're in so many conspiracy theories and you're like this is an impressive number of conspiracy theories for, you know, I don't know. I just don't I've never understood the the alleged um like what people think about them, although they seem to think they're responsible for possibly everything. I know that there was a big Freemason situation during an election in the 1800s. And there was like a lot of burning things down because they thought Freemasons were bad in some way. This isn't a great sum up, but there is some origin of it. And I think it also comes from just like secret societies and the first secret society that would become the Illuminati was exactly that was shrouded in mystery but like not really it was mostly just nerds talking about books and not being christian and that was kind of all it took for them to take on a very sinister tone but now it's like i think of the shriners sometimes i find the shriners in these books and i'm like those men are just running my local haunted house (laughs) and wearing a fez for some reason i think they ride around on a little bicycle but maybe that was like in the simpsons or something and that's just imprinted in my head yeah or maybe you associate other entities who wear fezes with little bikes like a bear in a circus <laughs> sounds right <laughs> sounds right so something that i have thought about a lot through this series of of jack chick and through learning about his various experts um all of whom tell of course very fantastical tales that have been thoroughly debunked I just continuously have this question of, are they charlatans? Do they believe what they said? Are they experiencing delusions that they've integrated into their life story without realizing it? And I think, obviously, each one is its own special, special tapestry of those things, probably. But specifically in this one, I want to read you another short passage that I think is a great piece of writing. Mm. So basically, he's talking about the first time he ever experienced anything paranormal, um, because he'd go on to become a paranormal investigator Mm. for a chunk of time. Of course. Of course. Right. And so he is trick or treating. Right. I think he is like about 10 years old in this passage and he's recalling it and he has, you know, a half half full bag of candy. He's finishing up the night. He's seeing the jack-o'-lanterns. They're filling him with joy, much like they filled you and I with joy and still do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, here we go. The boy chanced to look... It's in the third person. Mm, of course. <laughs> it's got to be. The boy chanced to look skyward through the arc of trees now stripped of their leaves and saw something which would change his life forever. The twinkling stars of an October night, which had been there before, were now gone, or at least covered. 
The arcing dome of the sky now seemed to writhe and twist like a living thing, or perhaps like a mass of living things. At first, the boy could not tell what he was observing. Was it dozens of throbbing, diseased bunches of grapes? <laughs> they seemed to hang like obscene dark tumors, obscuring the starry firmament. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? It's freaky. <laughs> As the boy walked slowly out from underneath the scattered branches, his jaw agape, the view cleared slightly. Each cluster began to unfold slightly, like some foul blossom. Then the boy realized what they reminded him of. They were bunches of huge bat-like creatures, digging their little bony claws into the very velvet darkness of the night. Mm. Then the creature's eyes opened. Awful as they were, the eyes made it easier for the boy to differentiate how many there were. The answer appalled him. There seemed to be thousands of them. Thousands of ruby-red eyes blazed out of the surging mass of vile unlife. Mm. The eyes seemed to sear into the very fabric of the boy's soul. Quote, you belong to us now. The words resonated within his mind like the tolling of a great bell. You belong to us now. Terror, not just uncomfortable fear, but the icy black widow spider of abject terror danced up and down his spine. An alien, almost sexual surge of power washed down over the boy and nearly drove him to his knees. Mm. Intense. You know, it sounds like Labyrinth to me. Do you think it's just he watched Labyrinth? When did that come out? <laughs> well, not that he watched it, but I think that like David Bowie himself doesn't always disguise himself as an owl. Sometimes he's a bat and he goes and, you know, talks to like boys trick or treating and is like, it's only forever. <laughs> Right? Yeah, and it also makes me think of uh, the worst witch when um... Tim Curry, when Tim Curry has the the green screen cloak. Yes, when Tim Curry comes down with the green, yeah, with the green screen and sings that beautiful song, and he's the only thing that makes that film. Yes, and also that number. You're right because it's like everything about it looks like such garbage, but he's just selling it so hard. You're just like this man is a warlock and hot as shit. Mm-hmm. As always, anything can happen on Halloween. You know, <laughs> it's very, it's a very suggestive song to sing. And he gave it his all. I mean, he really <gasps> committed to that role. It's also like it's kind of synthy, right? It's oh, like yeah. burp, burp. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) And now I'm just looking. Okay, so I just looked at the um, copyright date, and this was actually put out in 1992, which is a very late satanic memoir. I really just slid under the wire. I, I think Satan's Underground is also from the early 90s, and it's like, you guys, you know, chop, chop. They're really at the back of the parade. Which is wild. (laughs) <laughs> when do you think of, of the sa- the satanic panic dates as being? God, that's such a good question. Yeah, because like, because I, you know, I think that like at this point, one has to say like, well, of course, the satanic panic never died, but it did take a nice nap, like Pennywise, maybe, and like <laughs> yes. or like it, I guess. And like, when do you think that the nice nap started? If you agree with that, well, I would say that. The panic itself, I always think Manson kind of kicked it off. The Manson family and the reports of it being a ritual. So, you know, that's way back in, what, 69, I think? Yeah. And then, you know, throughout the 70s, we start to get our horror movies. We get The Exorcist. We get kind of the pop culture riffs on that. And then there's like all that Manson exploitation horror that happens in the early 70s that's all like ritual murder stuff. And then obviously, yeah, we get, I think Michelle Remembers is, is the late 70s. Is that right? I think that came out in 1980. 1980, yeah. Which I like because it's just a nice clean right at the start of the decade, keeping it nice and simple for us. Yes, yes. And then I think I have... Okay, so when did the McMartin trial end? Do you know the date when that was over? I don't know when it ended. I know it started in 83, and I feel like it went on for like years and years, right? I feel like it could have ended around 1990 somewhere. 
I think it was 1990 or, yeah, or right around there, but I do believe it went into the 90s. And I know that I was just reading something and somebody kind of called that the end. Hmm. But then you get all the way to Columbine, and I mean, then it's kind of morphed into like a goth panic. And I think we kind of had, I think it just kind of like mellowed into a goth panic. So it was Hmm. like a little more like we were standing with two feet in earth sort of unless we were you know talking about because i like goth kids were they doing satanic rituals i feel like they were suspected of satanic stuff and you can kind of see the west memphis three is a kind of a transitional movement yeah moment in that movement yeah it's funny because like i have been very confidently going around saying 1980 to 1992 mm-hmm. because my argument is like you begin with michelle remembers and then you put your nice nap in 92 which is where I had a couple reasons I think but the one that I remember first now is that that was when Ken Lanning of the FBI was like yeah we've looked Mm. into it for years and like there's like literally no affirmative evidence that any of this is going on so like that's thought provoking yeah but it's not as if that ended anything but it's like you know but then the, the tide also starts to turn in terms of like insurance covering MPD therapy, which has, you know, been resulted in insurance companies being billed for like 8 billion hours a year because there are people who are just like spending an entire like work week after work week just being hypnotized. Yeah. Like Michelle. (laughs) Like Michelle. Yep. And I mean, I think that like when I say Manson, maybe I'm thinking more like what's the like beginning totally. of the build up to the actual panic? Yeah. Because before I really like Michelle that. remembers, right? There wasn't really like we were worried about Satanism. We were freaked out about it, but it wasn't like there were any prosecutions. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe the prosecutions are what give us the panic, right? Where like mm-hmm. a panic is actually causing these like serious real world yeah that's true consequences yeah yes i mean like you can have those dates if you see for like the legal panic part of it i think and then talking about manson is like i don't know that i really like that i like the way you satanic panic chelsea (laughs) that's so nice i've always been waiting for someone to say that to me (laughs) that's what everybody wants to hear that's the secret it is (laughs) that's my love language Okay, so let's get back to Bill for a second. Yes. Oh, my God. Bill's going through it. Bill's going through it. So after Bill's first Halloween experience, he has another one where he is 12 years old. He's at his family's lake cottage in Wisconsin. And Mm. um, again, he sees like a really strange thing. It's basically a black figure rise up Mm -hmm. from the horizon to, as he says, bestride the heavens. Well, that just happens. That's just Midwest weather, honestly. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and that may have that may have been what it was. So then it walks over him and vanishes behind a hill, and he says that he believes this to be a Wendigo, which will come into play later. I feel like that's just what you get one of those clouds that's moving really fast, you know? Yeah, but to the young imagination, it could it's be true. a Wendigo. <laughs> I mean, why not? Who am I to say? That is bestriding the heavens. You got to bestride those heavens. (laughs) So then Bill gets interested in the paranormal kind of based on these experiences and always being a Halloween kid. He gets really into UFOs. He starts to learn about ghost hunting. He starts with his, you know, young coven. He starts to do witchcraft. Yeah, he's in his he's in college. He starts to kind of get a name as the ghost guy and the UFO guy. And he starts holding seances, eventually doing exorcisms, you know, the pipeline, the uh, escalating satanic crafts. Yeah, of course. Then he meets this spirit guide that encourages him to read Anton LaVey's satanic Bible. Of course, you know, it's kind of a given. And then he joins the Church of Satan, but he doesn't think they're hardcore enough. So then he joins what he says is an altogether darker satanic cult, the Freemasons. (laughs) (laughs) There they are. (laughs) And like, what do the Freemasons actually do? I bet it's it's really boring, right? I think it's pretty boring. I think it's just kind of like another like enlightenment kind of group that just Hmm. does 
mostly community service, I think. I don't really, I really don't know. I should, I should know, but I always just write it off as like another Shriners or like Eagles or Elks or whatever. I guess proves like how much PR it is to have a secret society. Like if there were secret cat shows, people would lose their minds trying to get in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think something great about the this whole story and series that we made is that one of our experts named John Todd, who was uh, an Illuminati informant. So he was a druid high priest that was a very high up in the Illuminati and was raised in a witchcraft family. Actually, Mike Warnke of the Satan Cellar was his sworn enemy mm. because Mike Warnke believed that John Todd stole his whole bit about the Illuminati. <laughs> which, like, I also love that it, he's, like, alleging what he's saying to be true, in which case he couldn't be stealing it because it would be a fact. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This was apparently, like, behind the scenes at some event they were both at. Um, I'm not it's sure incredible. who recorded it or if it's apocryphal, but I do like it. I love it. Yeah. But uh, in terms of the Freemasonry, um, John Todd actually was able to get Strom Thurmond thrown off the board of Bob Jones University because he revealed him to be a Freemason and he was really a Freemason, but he was like, Strom Thurmond was like, no, 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 it's fine. Freemasonry is is just like this little club I do. And uh, yeah, they, they kicked him right off the board and then... Uh, John Todd swore that uh, he went to prison for an assault, a sexual assault, and he was framed by Strom Thurmond. And I just find that to be quite a story. I mean, what what can't Strom Thurmond do, <laughs> honestly? Yep, he's got powers. He's a Freemason. He can do anything. Uh, it's fun. And again, you're like, look, Strom Thurmond was like a very powerful force in the 20th century, but it was just because he was a racist guy. That's all. It's a secret brotherhood of racist guys. <laughs> so then after that, Bill signs a deal with Satan with his blood and that he will be given seven years worth of superpowers. But after that seven years, he will be killed. But then he'll just get sent to party forever in hell, which he says is a win win. So hell is supposed to be like dope in this scenario well that is what the devil wants you to think right okay yes. so the devil just shows you like the nice part of hell yes but then when you get there you realize that you have to live in like the gross part or it, whatever it's like a guy who's like this party is going to be awesome <laughs> and then you get to his house and it isn't it's just, <laughs> it's just a, a snake in a terrarium and <laughs> I, I <laughs> I'm imagining you as like a like tent revival preacher you're like and when you get to the gates of hell the devil will take you to look at his turtle and the turtle will not even be moving around <laughs> he just sits in a bowl of water <laughs> <laughs> and then he wants to explain succession to you i tell you my little brothers and sisters is it worth it <laughs> and I think it is, Sarah, because I love succession. <laughs> yeah, and I bet, you know, and what? And then the devil would just, like, he would just, he would vape. The devil vapes in this scenario. The devil definitely vapes. Yeah, and the devil, I bet he's like, he's like, ha, ha, ha. And you're like, oh, what's funny? And he's like, oh, just a great joke that you wouldn't get <laughs> from succession. <laughs> Okay, so at this point, Bill is able to talk to spirits. He's talking to Jesus. He's talking to Hitler. How did Hitler get in there? It's like you're talking to Jesus, you're having a great time, and then Hitler's like, knock, knock, and you're like, fuck off, Hitler. Like, I have no time for you. Like, why would you talk to Hitler? What's he going to say? I don't know. Bill seems to definitely want to talk to him because he's now brought it up twice. <laughs> <sighs> The interesting thing, too, right, is that the same time that he is a Satanist, Bill is also a Catholic priest. All right. Why not? Which really tracks with the Jack Chick universe, because Jack mm -hmm. Chick's main villain in all of his tracts is the Vatican, the Pope, the Catholic Church. So mm. I think that 
marrying those two together was like, you know, Jack was really over the moon about that, which I find really interesting because Michelle Remembers is a Catholic book. Oh, yeah. Right. It's one of the most Catholic. It's the most Catholic book I've ever read. <laughs> I sure think it is. But then there's like this other side of the satanic kind of memoir or panic or whatever where Catholicism is also of the devil. Yeah. So I I don't know. I think that's really interesting because Mike Warnke was definitely mm-hmm. a Protestant, right? Like an evangelical, I'm imagining. Uh, yeah, I think he was Baptist. Baptist, yeah, that would make sense. More after this. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. And now, back to the show. And it is it is so interesting. And it's and then with Michelle remembers like it's funny also that it's a Canadian Mm. book, or at least it's about Canadian people. And yeah, that this starts off as like with the Michelle remembers origin story is like, this is something to be remedied by the Catholic Church, the Vatican. Uh, you know, of course, as we know from the exorcists, like they are the ones equipped to fight the devil here on earth. And then it feels like American sort of evangelical Protestants, like pick up the satanic panic football and just like sprint across the field while the Catholics are still like getting their stuff together. <laughs> Sounds right to me. You know, which is not to say that it's an achievement because like the the 80s were also like such a crucial decade in the evangelical takeover of American politics. And I feel like the like Satan football was like very useful in that. And I think, too, that for Jack Chick, he felt like everything happening to him, in addition to everything happening to the world, was this Catholic conspiracy. And that was always reinforced by uh, Christian bookstores refusing to sell his tracts once he got so like intensely terribly terribly anti-catholic and to Mm. him he was like the catholics are going in and agents are removing my books from the shelves and really it's just Mm -hmm. like well catholic bookstore i mean christian bookstores would like to continue to be able to cater to catholic people as well it's Mm -hmm. like that simple yeah so i i think that it's really interesting because my thought behind that is like Jack Chick was really rejected by mainstream evangelicals and fundamentalists. Mm. And I think a big part of that, and when I say mainstream, I mean, he was rejected by kind of high ups like Jerry Falwell types. And I think now just this is just coming to me when you're talking about the 80s and the Reagan years is like that's when they were really trying to consolidate those two, you know, Protestantism and Catholicism because they wanted to create this Christian voting block that they didn't really have before. And they were trying to, you know, the moral majority, they were trying to like bind these two things together. So I think it would make sense that certain, you know, people who were heading these committees in tandem with Republican politicians would not like this anti-Catholic sentiment purely because it would kind Mm -hmm. of cut a rift in these these two groups that could get Reagan elected and get all these horrible policies enacted. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also because it, it feels like it's at least in 1980, Reagan was like really working hard to court the white working class, which like in certain parts of the country, that was a lot of Catholics. So, you know, you got to be strategic. Yep. Yep. And was Reagan a Catholic? Am I wrong? Reagan, he I forget the denomination he was. It wasn't. It seems like there's no way he was Catholic, right? He he wasn't. No, he wasn't Catholic. But interestingly, his ex-wife, Jane Wyman, was Catholic. And I was just reading about her the other day, as you do. And she was buried in a nun's habit because she was like some kind of like lay nun when she was an old lady. So that really says a lot about being married to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, Nancy. <laughs> Nancy, it could have been cool. It's so sad. You could have been buried in a nun's habit, but but look at you now. Still buried. Okay, so Bill has 
gotten, you know, all he's he's a high druid, he's a Freemason, he's everything that you could possibly be. He's a priest. When does he watch his shows? He's so busy. <laughs> this is too much. Well, what do you think, Sarah, would be the next step? Any guesses? Hmm. Think worldwide. Oh, worldwide. Wow. The big time. Right. So probably like becoming a higher up in the Illuminati, right? That's it. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, course. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's joining the Illuminati. He got the world religion punch card and they're like, all right, let's take you back back to the Illuminati, back behind the curtain. <laughs> exactly. He's like, I think he said his spirit guides gave him all the secret passwords and that's how he uh, was able to get his foot <laughs> in the in the door of the New World Order. So, of um, course. This is how he describes the Illuminati initiation process. So it starts with the first step, which is illumination. And he describes this as being like covered in the blinding white light of Lucifer. It felt like Mm. my skin was being parboiled in pure light. Wow. What does parboiled mean? Do you know? Yeah, that means cooked partially, and you use that, like, you par-cook your noodles if you're making, um, like, a tuna noodle casserole that's going to go back in the oven so that your noodles don't get too soft. See? Great writing. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's an al dente egg noodle. (laughs) That's what we call imagery. (laughs) Um, so, okay. Step two is communion with the dead. All right. Something he had already mastered during his trance states. And at this point, as he's getting ready to be a part of the Illuminati, he has more chats with, who do you think? <laughs> the, it's got to be the de- Hitler. Is it Hitler? Yeah. Yes. Why? Why talk to Hitler? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I mean, he talks to a lot of guys. He talks to Buddha, Jesus. I know. And then is Jesus ever like, so who else are you hanging out with among the dead? And he's like, um, Hitler. Well, and are we to believe he was talking to these people? He doesn't really he seems to say that he was talking to these people. And it's strange because throughout he is still like doing mass and doing these different things where he still is like one foot in Christianity. It's a very strange and confusing amalgamation of things that that our our dear bill is involved in and yeah he just wants power man he wants that power hmm. so then step three <laughs> is of course sex with a fallen angel <laughs> oh wow why do the fallen angels have i, I guess because they're fallen and that's the part of the punishment maybe is to have sex with guys named bill yeah so what what's the fallen angel situation what are they like well he says that it was an appalling and bizarre process. That's oh, no. Okay. Yeah. That's too bad. I was hoping it would be hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, he then marries the angel, so it must have been oh. okay. <laughs> Which is interesting because another um, expert that we talked about in our part two of Chick Tracts is a woman named Rebecca Brown. And I don't mm. know, Sarah, have you ever heard of Rebecca Brown? I don't know. I don't think so. Dr. Rebecca Brown. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's like, yeah, I think so. But I forgot. Did she write he came to set the captives free yes, or something? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which I don't think I've read, but I've had on my shelf for a few years. You either got to read it or you have to listen to Jack's um, four hour interview <laughs> with both Dr. Rebecca Brown and the former Satanist who's known only as Elaine, who's kind of our mm. Michelle Paz, I would say, Mm -hmm. to uh, Mm -hmm. Rebecca's Lawrence Pazder, but still very different. But um, one of the things that happens is that Elaine claims that she marries Satan and he's wearing a white suit and Mm -hmm. they get married in a Presbyterian church. And it's like, (laughs) you couldn't afford anything else, Satan. (laughs) You get married in some (laughs) dusty ass Presbyterian church. Uh. And then, yeah, they take a limo. And they go to a mansion in L.A. and she calls it their haunted honeymoon. And we should all be so lucky as to have a haunted honeymoon. Uh, At least once, for sure. Yeah. And then, like, is (laughs) Satan, like, in human form or is he just, like, a big, you know, like a goat man or something? You know, 
I it, it's kind of unclear, and I, I had the same question. I think he's in human form. Like, what happens if they get pulled over, <laughs> right? And he has to be able to be like, my name is Bob Johnson. He just rolls the window down like halfway, so you just <laughs> yeah. you can see horns, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> I'm going to a party. <laughs> <laughs> I, I he's actually late to that hotel, California thing Mm -hmm. traffic Mm -hmm. actually i think that they talk about how hotel california is like some kind of a satanic power song makes sense yeah which totally makes sense that's what i always think because you know it's like it's got that sexy guitar it's what satan would play it it is you know the beats of the druids as john todd would say (laughs) oh (laughs) my god it's like i think that uh John Todd believes in druids more than anyone aside from the writers of Halloween 3, <laughs> which is the one where, like, with the killer druid masks. It's a it's a really uh, a really interesting thing to sort of pull from the past, from such a distant past, um, instead of just saying witch. But druid sounds cool. Like, the word druid. Yeah. Sounds very cool. It does. I wish I was a druid. You could be. <laughs> Nothing's stopping you. Thank you. That's true. Be your best self. <laughs> so I think that it's really fun to imagine that people who were apparently in the Illuminati included people like Richard Nixon. So Richard Nixon, in theory, would have also had to have sex with a fallen angel and married a fallen angel. Wow. And I feel really bad for that fallen angel. (laughs) He's like, I've been waiting for centuries to have sex with a human. And you give me Nixon? It's dick. To be fair, all of of the, at least every dictator is hideous and most... (laughs) scary men in government are too so that's true. i don't know these fallen angels they're not working with the best clientele okay dear listeners this is the end of part one of our tale of jack chicks ex vampire informant for part two we will get into the meat of this story the lifeblood of bill's experience his full transformation Make sure you come back next week and join Sarah and I as we dive even deeper into one of the strangest memoirs of the Satanic Panic. This was American Hysteria. Make sure you subscribe to You're Wrong About wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get early, ad-free episodes of our show, as well as bonus content, you can head to patreon.com slash American Hysteria, where you'll get access to Hysteria Home Companion, a talk show where producer Miranda and I tell you some of the stories from the cutting room floor. The episode we put out for our Chick Tracts series dives deeper into the life story of Jack Chick. Another great way to support our show is to leave us a five-star review on the app of your choice. This episode has sound designed by Clear Camo Studios, was edited and produced by Miranda Zickler, and I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Thanks, as always, for listening, and make sure you join us for part two of this sensational and lurid tale. Have a great week.